Hey everyone, this is Sam Culpepper bringing you the Culpepper Chronicles, where myself and special guests hope to bring you, the listener, more information in regards to self-sufficiency, fieldcraft, survival, marksmanship, gear, and theory with the aids of not only personal experience and opinion, but historical and technical documentation as well. All in the hopes to better prepare you for impending collapse and hard times to come. Now, pull up a seat and let's get down to it. This is going to be talking about comms with none other than Pine, if you're in the uh, Longhouse Discord, or Coniferous Origins, if you're only on Instagram. Uh, so, without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to him, let him kind of introduce himself. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for having me on, Sam. Uh, you introduced me. Um, I'm Coniferous Origins on Instagram. I have my own podcast called Longhouse Podcast. Um, my background, as far as radios go, is I've been in the Marine Corps for seven years now and i've been a radio operator my entire enlistment um going down the jtag pipeline right now so i'm fairly familiar with comms um i've done a decent amount of uh like forward observer type stuff call for fires and uh i'm the uh, battalion radio chief for the battalion that i'm in very slick so i'm gonna i'm gonna just say it's not like he's qualified at all for this topic um he probably doesn't know anything about radios. Or like <laughs> Actually, I've never touched a radio, so let's, let's get into yeah. it. <laughs> ne- never, never heard a Baofeng chime on. No. <laughs> all right. Bail so fang. for all, the, yeah, for all the listeners, uh, I kind of want to approach this with uh, we we have at least we know what a walkie-talkie is, but we have no real other uh, experience from that. And we live in a world where we don't have this ludicrous law where you have to have a license in order to operate them. And there aren't people that sit around in their underwear reporting us to uh, the feds. Out of their uh, converted ambulances? Out of, out of their converted ambulances riding around with the sole purpose of busting you for talking on AM radio. All right. I like this imaginary world that we're in. <laughs> me too. All right. <laughs> so uh, so to me, there's like two types of comms if, if we're just going to just buckle it down to to just nitty-gritty and that's going to be visible and audible so visible would be you know obviously flares hand signals and stuff like that tonight we're talking about audible comms okay so um what are some of the options that are out there and kind of what are the differences like i i I see a lot of like high frequency and then there's digital and there's ultra high frequency and there's also you know like ham and everything else so right so uh i guess uh kind of go in order so you have the main two types of comms that you have um that you'll use in like a handheld or even man pack type situation is digital and analog um it's exactly what it sounds like one is uh it it has to do with how the waves are uh, created essentially so digital is a lot newer and it's digital in, in and of itself is a huge rabbit hole so you can create like these crazy networks and use each other's repeaters and all this cool stuff that I'm honestly not familiar with from like a civilian standpoint. Um, okay. One of the main problems too with me is that most of my comm experience is in a military standpoint. Right. So there is a lot of crossover and there is a lot of applicable stuff and the 
methods of use are going to be the same, but the my knowledge on like uh, civilian and ham equipment is is fairly limited. Right. Um, but essentially, going back into it, digital is. I mean, it's newer. There's crazy stuff you can do with it. The audio is a little bit more clear, and then there's analog, which is, um, you know, it's it's a little bit older. It's like how the original. I mean, obviously everything analog is going to be older. It's like the original way that things were done was analog everything. But your comms are not going to be quite as clear. It's going to be a little bit of a difference, but nothing that's going to be something that, uh, I guess, deters the mission, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So, so analog being that's dated, is it any less reliable, or is there anything that we need to consider in that regard? Or is it um, just, kinda just a different type? Like it's just a different way to skin a cat type thing? It's really just a different type, especially when you start talking about the equipment that we have uh, access to. So like Baofangs and most handheld radios that you buy like that, like the cheaper uh, type radios are going to be analog. And like I use an analog radio. All of my friends that I uh, train with and stuff use analog radios. It's not it's not something that we've ever been sitting around and been like, oh, man, if only we'd have. If, if only we had digital radios, this would be way easier. You know, right. you're you're able to serve your purpose with the analog then. Oh yeah, and I All mean right. it's, cool. it. Cool. It kind of goes along with the mentality of uh, Kiss. You know, keep it simple, stupid, right. or keep it stupid simple, depending on who you're talking to. But the 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 whole like when you set up your communication infrastructure, you want it to be as simple as possible because the more complex that you make it, the more that's going to go wrong. And anybody who's been around uh communication equipment for long enough knows that comms are usually going to go down and you need to plan for comms to go down just the way that it is right which is where things like you know visible comms come into play where you can right. always have uh have audio comms and that could be even as much as like in a team unit like if you've got if you've got like a six-man group that's going through the woods you don't necessarily everybody have to have a radio if you're staying within eyesight because you should be you can relay without without the need of comms. Yes. So usually, like the way that I try to have my SOPs um, for civilian uh, purposes to have all internal squad or fire team. Uh, I mean, generally, it's working in fire teams, but all internal fire team comms be hand and arm signals. Be. All right, we're losing you there for a little bit, brother. Can you hear me? We're we're losing you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, brother. So you're still. Yeah, you're 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 coming in a little bit garbled, but it's starting to clear up. Oh, yeah, I'm quiet too. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Okay. Um, fire team comms are usually hand and arm signals. External are uh, radios. Generally, because you know you're not always able to see each other with uh, being separated, especially when you have things like bounding overwatch or you know somebody hold a security position in one area or you have like a 
recon fire team go out and do their thing while another one stays back at camp, things like that. Yeah, that makes sense because, I mean, pretty much any time you're not with an eyesight, I feel, is when the, the radio comms plays in. But if you're within eyesight and able to easily see, like without the need of like magnified optics each other, then I don't see why you would chance giving away a position with audio or being detected via you know directional finders and things like that. Oh, 100%. Um, also, like with Beofangs and cheaper radios, there you'll get a lot of, uh, especially when you get into like MERS frequencies, which I'll go into in a little bit, but um, you get a lot of uh, environmental interference. So it'll sound like somebody's keying in. It'll just be like little, little blobs of static. And if somebody doesn't have a headset set up or something to where they can have like an in-ear comm set up, um, it's super loud and will alert the entire forest where you're at. And so if you have eight guys or whatever, and six of them don't have headsets, I mean, there's no, there's no reason why they all need to have radios, you know, not everybody needs to hear everything all the time. Right. Yeah. Like your, your squad leader or group leader needs to, and then like, if you have multiple groups, at least one maybe two people in there for sure need to have comms, uh, which would be, you know, like your squad leader, assistant squad leader type thing. And oh, then, yeah. Uh, and, and then they can talk because it's important if, you, if you're dealing with multiple groups, it's super important that way you don't have fratricide and, and you know, like a blue on blue type situation. Uh, but as well as just communicating your location in relation, like if you're going to be setting up a complex ambush or an assault or something like that. Correct. So it definitely makes sense for that. But I agree, not everyone uh needs to have a radio or for that matter so like the way i always approach it is like for myself i'm i am a single unit uh i'm, I'm still like i always thought i'm still working on doing the team thing I'm, I'm trying to get together with some dudes in my area um but it, even in that i feel like the best route for me would be to like do calm windows like if i was away from home i would have a home base like bail thing because that, that's what I have is, is the bail thing. I got the, the, you know, everyone has the UV5R thing. Uh, but have like a, a home base one. And then I'm trying to figure out the whole repeater aspect where I can get a little bit more range. But I can get within my city or my, my small town anyways on that one bail thing pretty easily because um, I've tested it. So I have like the one home unit and then I would have every, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. I'd turn it on, make comms, make sure everything's okay, turn it back off. And that's yeah. just yeah, from someone, someone like, efficient. and then like, you know, and that works for me. Cause like, I've got kids, like if I'm out and about, you know, obviously like right now there's nothing going on, but if it was a situation where I was doing like a security patrol with someone else, like the kids randomly come by and pick up the radio and, you know, hot mic me. If I've got that thing out loud, cause I don't have comms integrated in my headset, then I'm just blaring it out there for everyone to hear. Yep. Yep. And also uh, with calm windows, you can serve battery a lot more. Exactly. If that's a... Yeah. And that's, that's a consideration that's a huge yep. aspect of it too um which is something i want to talk about a little bit later because i had a bunch of users ask me about like grid down comms and, and radios and stuff like that and i think okay. battery conservation is going to be the biggest part to that yep. um something too though uh based on what you're saying about utilizing repeaters so something to keep in mind is that um you know outside of outside of our fantasy world to utilize repeaters, you're, you're supposed to be ham licensed. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Whatever. But the other thing too, is that, um, 
when there's natural disasters like when Hurricane Katrina and uh, other big natural disasters like that occur, usually the FCC will say that you have to, that the only people authorized to use repeaters are like fire, EMS, emergency services. And if you are using that repeater, I mean, you're, you're whenever you're using VHF and UHF comms, which I, I can get into a little bit more, but uh, you're basically you're always broadcasting your signal and it's not that hard to triangulate your position. And they were fining people during Hurricane Katrina like 20 grand for utilizing repeaters to make sure that their family on the other side of the state was safe. So uh, you gotta love it. Yeah, so I I think that repeaters are sweet. I think that they're a really good asset, but right. I wouldn't. Yeah. Currently, I would, currently, you need to be uh, smart about it. Yeah, exactly. and really, there's no there's no reason not to have your ham license. Like I'm, that's something I'm looking at getting into just to just to nullify the legal issues of it. I'm just in this fantasy world. It's just we're doing away with the arbitrary law just in order for the conversation's sake. Yep. Um, one thing is that a lot of the one of the issues that I have with the when you start really diving into the calm sphere is that like. You know, people complain about um, kind of the 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 in-group policing that's with uh, braces and tax stamps and all that stuff, the firearms. Like, you know, you go to a range, even if you have, you know, say that you go there with your licensed SBR and it's all good to go. And somebody at that's the RSO says, hey, do you have a, a tax stamp for that? One, it's really not any of their business. And that that translates over to the way that comms are like you know we were joking earlier that you have those those boomers that ride around their underwear looking for people using the wrong stations and uh being unlicensed and stuff like that and i think i had heard this somewhere i don't know how accurate it is but i had heard that in the fcc for the department of people that uh looks for like unauthorized transmissions kind of deal uh, concerning ham radios and all that stuff. There's only like eight people that do that. Like it's a super low amount. So they rely on that in-group policing and those people that are for their hobby looking for people that are using uh, frequencies that they're not supposed to be on when they're yeah, unlicensed. They're, they're, so, they're, they're looking for them to start eating their own is what they're doing. Exactly. Which is, it's just ridiculous that that's the case. I mean, you would think that we as free loving Americans would be would be cool with trying to help each other out instead of bring each other down but it's just kind of the going theme of the world oh yeah I mean it, it kind of separates like I've gone in a couple of uh, like discord servers and forums and stuff like that about uh, civilian comps and I was trying to brush up on them a lot more and that was one of the main things that everybody always asked right away it was like oh are you do you have a ham license and it's like well don't worry about it because it's not it's technically none of your business if I do mm -hmm. or don't um, and if I'm asking you a question, just assume that I do no matter what, right? right? Whether I do or don't, right? I'm trying to ask you a question, not ask about legal advice. So yeah, I agree. whatever, ran over. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay. So, um, so we've, we've talked about kind of the, the options that are out there, which the civilian world is like, you know, and I guess it's, it's across the globe is digital or analog, uh, what are some options as far as actual devices within those two spectrums uh, that you've either dealt with or that you would suggest to uh, civilian end users? So the other 
kind of separating thing between different uh, devices and all that stuff is what waveform you're using. Um, so you have, uh, well, frequency range, not waveform, uh, but frequency range. So you have HF for high frequency, VHF for very high frequency, and UHF for ultra high frequency. So essentially what that means is your frequency is, if you look at a chart with the waves and it basically just looks like, you know, really soft mountains going up and down. Um, if you measure from the peak of one to the other, how close or far apart they are, that's your frequency. So when you type in your frequency and you're saying, uh, you know, 50 megahertz, that's the way that it's measured in the waves and how essentially fast they're going. Um, so when you have your different frequency ranges, the waves act differently. It's not really that noticeable between HF, or I'm sorry, between VHF and UHF. So a lot of radios will be dual band, which means that they are capable of doing VHF and UHF. So like Baofangs and the 152 clones and all that stuff are dual band. So you can type in like 169 megahertz, that's VHF, or you can do like 430, which is UHF. Uh, they're a little bit different. They sound different. UHF is a little bit more clear, um, but it can't really travel as far. So right. that's kind of the main like thing that you need to decide is, okay, for UHF, it's going to be able to penetrate like concrete barriers a little bit more. Uh, if you're sitting in a metal shack, it's not going to be as uh, interfered, things like that. But your waves aren't going to be able to travel as far. So if you're on one lower frequency and you're able to talk three miles, you might only be able to talk two on a higher frequency. It, it all depends. A lot of it's environmental. So, so in that regard, real quick, before we get into specific examples, would you say that something like UHF would be better for maybe like an urban or more structurally built up area where you don't have quite as much distance, but you have a lot more of possible interference between you and a person? Versus yes. like versus like just regular high frequency, maybe being better for someone in a rural environment where you've got vast distances uh, and not quite as much in between. Yeah, so I didn't really go into HF. Um, HF is a completely different beast in its own. Like the waves are completely different. Okay. Um, v, VHF, no, like UH, and UHF, UHF or VHF then? Yeah, yeah. UHF would be better in an urban environment or something like that. Um, now, if you're trying to talk from one side of the city to the other, and both of you guys are standing on top of a roof, I don't really know if it's, you know, it kind of gets negligible at a certain point. Um, but the main thing to know about VHF and UHF is that they're both line of sight, meaning you're standing on one side, I'm standing on the other, I talk, the waves go straight to you, you hear them, that's, that's it, that's a, you know, we're talking. Um, but yeah, UHF, I would say is better for that. VHF, I usually use in the woods because the, uh, the interference from trees and brush isn't as bad as like a concrete or metal structure or power lines, things like that. Makes sense. Okay. So that's, I, that was just kind of random when you said all that. I thought, okay, maybe that would be something. Uh, okay. So specific models that maybe you would suggest for, uh, we'll say digital. Because, I mean, like, everyone everyone tends to have a Baofeng, or, or that would be, Baofeng would be analog, but uh, 
everyone tends to have a bail thing, but I know that there's a lot of issues with them that people run into as far as like environmental issues and things like that. So maybe there's some better options that we can look into. Yeah. Um, and also they, there are digital bail things. Um, the UV five R that everybody gets is analog, but there are digital models available. Um, okay. I would, I would say that one of the biggest things to look for with civilian radios that I've seen is the, the Kenwood two pin, um, like method for accessories. So like your headsets and push to talks, all that stuff, the, the Kenwood two pin connector, is absolutely atrocious it's terrible i've broken like three of them just by laying down um so if you do anything involving buddy rushing or crawling or something to where you maybe hit the ground a little bit harder um you know it's 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 a good chance that you can break the connection and it's on the radio side too sometimes sometimes it's on the um your accessory side it all depends so if you buy a 60 dollars push to talk you might lay down a little bit too hard and you're out and now you got to either buy another one or replace the radio for 30 bucks or whatever. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I usually look for. Uh, some good brands for digital are Motorola. The XTS 2500s are, we use in the military quite a bit. Um, we call them prick 153s. And so there's tons of surplus trucker mics and um, not really push to talk accessories for like Peltors and stuff, but you know, there's a ton of accessories. They are, there's a couple different models, but the best one to use and the kind that we use is digital. It's dual band. So it can go VHF and UHF and it's FPP, which is uh front something programmable basically there's like a keypad on it and you can hand jam them and type in your frequencies from the buttons on the front all right and that was the xts 2500 yes all right cool i'm there, writing all this down too because i'm learning i'm learning with you guys whoever's listening to the podcast <laughs> i'm learning with you so. there's also the xts 5000 which is a little bit newer it's a little bit uh better there's supposed to be some better features with it but to be honest i'm i'm not really sure off the top of my head the only thing that you have to be mindful of with the Motorola radios is that the programming software for them is very archaic and you need to really sit down and figure out how to use it. There's a couple of videos, but it's very old. Um, it's not the most user friendly. It's kind of a pain and normally it is expensive, but I mean, you can find free downloads online. It's not like you need to have a software key or anything. Cool. How are they with like environmental stuff? You know, like the, the thing I always hear with bio things, they just suck with water. As soon as they get wet, they just fall apart type thing. And Man, I've had cases of uh, the 153s, like the, the XTS 2500s, but I've had cases of them that somebody left open and it started raining and there's like a foot of water in them and we pour out the water and all the radios work fine. I mean, it's not, they're, cool. they're, they're like very durable radios. That's always a big consideration, and that, that goes for someone who's thinking about field stuff, like we, we talk about a lot of, or even like grid-down type urban stuff where you may have to have a radio to communicate with your family. Like, if it, if, a, if a little bit of water ruins your radio, then there's no point in having the radio. Oh, right. So. And another trick, too, that you can do, especially if you're worried about connections and stuff, is just take a Ziploc bag and just drop it in there, or what I usually do, too is if you have MREs, 
Um, there's the beverage bag in them, so it's a little bit thinner and really long. And I use those for my phone, and I use those for radios and all that stuff. Those beverage bags are amazing for waterproofing uh, electronics, phones, things like that. Usually, that's what I'll do is, like, the first MRE I take, because I don't use any of that beverage powder shit anyway, but I'll take the uh, beverage bag. I'll take it out. I'll put it in my pocket. So if it starts raining, I can put my phone in there. Don't need to worry about it getting wet. I mean, phones nowadays are all water-resistant, but still. Yeah, but still. No, no one wants to ruin their iPhone in the field. You can't, yeah, exactly. take, you can't, you can't take Kawhi G picks if you don't well, have your Well, that, and uh, if, if you look at what Drew Hopkins said, his iPhone is used for note-taking, spotting scope, and the camera. So Exactly. You're just, yeah, you're losing a huge asset. And if you don't wear a watch, then, you know, you can't tell time anymore either. So wear a watch. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, so uh, we talked about the Motorola. Is there anything else as far as digital that we should be looking at? Um, so the Motorola's are really the only ones that I have experience with. That's personally. the one I always hear about is the Motorola stuff when it comes yeah. to digital. So. The XDS 2500s slash frequent 53s for the guys that were or are in the military. Um, also commonly referred to as black gear because they're different, like, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. It doesn't matter. But uh, right. <laughs> the those are great, solid radios. Um, they're very easy to use once you understand them. Uh, they're quick to use once you get a you know get a hold of the the methods and stuff. But um, yeah, they're solid, very strong. Uh, they have a good connection type too on the side. They have like a multi-pin where you line it up, and there's a screw that you got to that's built in that like you you tighten down so it can't move. Oh, yeah, that is, that is nice compared to the two-pin. The two-pin yep. just popped in and out. So, And then also something, too, if you start uh, considering the logistics aspects and stuff, is that getting surplus batteries and extra batteries is not that difficult. Yeah. So, and, uh, and from what I've heard is a lot of uh, maybe, like, county police departments and, like, fire mm-hmm. departments and stuff like that tend to issue the, uh, the Motorola-type radio, so maybe you can find batteries and stuff there, too. Yep, exactly. Or if your buddies with somebody who's in the military, usually batteries aren't um, counted as anally as other things. They're not serialized gear, so if a couple go missing, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, if a couple go missing from, you know, and one of your friends has a couple extra in his pack by accident, it's not it's not yeah. a big deal, right? It's not like you're uh, smuggling out an M240 barrel or something. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> the radio itself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, that's kind of gave us some options for digital. Let's talk about analog. Mm-hmm. So analog, um, you know, everybody usually gets the UV5R and goes, all right, you know, I'm good. What do I need to do to start kicking down doors? But um, I would recommend the – personally, I really am a fan of the um, TCA-152 clones. Some people will say that they're like a Baofeng – with a different packaging um that's really not the case they are very durable they use true nato six pin connections which is huge for me um still being in the military like uh push to talks and handsets things like that i can use antennas i can still use and um you know the the output on them is very good that's another thing you need to look for is the output i can go into that a little bit more later okay yeah, um, I remember, I remember you radios. suggesting that one to me, and I was kind of hopping on the internet, looking around at just different things that I would need for it. And 
it's like every website has antennas and push to talks and everything else for it. So it seems like accessory wise, they're pretty, pretty readily available. Yeah. I mean, they use the real Harris accessories, which is what like military radios are all Harris and the accessories are usually Harris. So, and you can find a ton of those on eBay. Um, but then other brands, uh, I know that Motorola makes analog radios. Um, some other brands that are pretty common are for both digital and analog are Yesu. It's Y-A-E-S-U. It's a Japanese brand. Um, TYT is another one. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's see here. We're, I'm trying to, to move this in a direction that works good for civilian setups. So we talked about some options. Um, what, what are some things we should look at as far as accessories? Let's say uh, initially we're looking at maybe just civilian hand use. We're not talking about like field use where you have uh, extended days out in the field and comms, but maybe someone who's in a city that needs to be able to communicate with their family while they're out and about scavenging or just maybe we're not even that far in yet, but it's a, um, you're in a group that is maybe monitoring protests that are going on in the city or something like that. What, what are some accessories that would benefit us in that regard? Um, I think that trucker mics are an extremely good accessory to have. They're very, uh, there's a wide range of uses for them. They're very useful if you're in a vehicle, you can throw your radio in the cup holder or if you have like a proper mount for it and you can use the trucker mics to talk into. And then as well, you can usually attach them to um, ear pro like uh, the Howard lights, walkers or sword ins, Peltor, stuff like that via a 3.5 millimeter audio cable. So like an aux cable. Um, so trucker mics are really good. If in a vehicle, uh, you can usually, there's, this is when you start to get into like some really niche stuff, but there are certain radios by like amplifier docking station for them. So you can amplify them and then use this. an antenna that's in your vehicle with the power of like models and websites and stuff off the top of my head, but I've stumbled across some online. That's good to know. Um, that, would, that would be really good for anyone who uh, is also doing like overlanding or something like that. Yep. So. Yep. Or, I mean, you can even get like the the ham radios that go in your vehicle that are usually amplified. And you can set them up and they run off your vehicle power. And like you're a CB? Getting, yeah, they're literally exactly like a CB. They're just ham, which is just a different okay. frequency range from my understanding. Okay. So, okay. So, um, what about like antennas or anything like that? Is there anything that we should be looking at as far as, uh, you know, like maybe we got on top of a building, we need to boost our, our signal and get it out a little bit farther to somebody. What should we be looking at with that? The, the two main ways to increase your range are amplification and antenna length. So, there's kind of, I mean, it could be a whole another episode, but you can make field expedient antennas. And when you are looking at antennas, um, getting the proper length antenna for, there's like math equations that you can do based on, um, you know, your, your wavelength. So full half or quarter, three quarters really use that much, but your wavelength divided by your frequency equals a certain number and that's how many feet your antenna should be and if you have like 
uh, you know, something that falls under there, like a, if that's a multiple of whatever your antenna length is, things like that. You can you can increase comms in like super weird ways. I mean, I've made field expedient antennas out of a Pringles can and some communications wire that's just like black metal wire. So there's tons of things that you can do. But one thing that I would say is um, those antenna uh, relocation cables are nice because you can take those and either in your kit, you can redirect the antenna on your back so it's out of your way, or you can use them to toss your antenna over the over like a tree branch or over something on a building and get a little bit more height without exposing yourself. And sometimes too, you can use it to blend in a little bit better as well. Okay. Well, yeah, because then you're not walking around with like a six foot whip hanging off your head. Yep, exactly. And uh, field, field expedient antennas are a true art and you really need to do some reading on it. And it's kind of like an autistic rabbit hole that you can go down because you get different uh, directions that your waves will go in. So like most antennas that you plug into your radio are omnidirectional, meaning they propagate in every direction. But you can get some where like I've done, um, I've done HF comm shots for literally like just over 400 miles using an antenna that I made. Wow. And that's, that's the way that you really have to do it. Cause it's like custom fitting to what you're trying to do and the frequencies that you're on and all that. Like, right. You're, you're directing it to what you're wanting to talk to as opposed to just everything and wasting. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Like the, the antennas that you buy are like a one size fits all and they're good in a limited use. But when you start to get into like that really specialized stuff, um, you need to, you need to, especially make your antennas so but yeah you can make field expedient antennas for vhf comms things like that and those will help you out quite a bit especially if you have a more permanent setup so if you have like a base camp at home you have a comm setup or if you set up an observation post you know that you're going to be there for five six plus hours and you know when you're going to move and all that stuff setting up a field expedient antenna is not a bad idea and there's kits that you can buy online for it and stuff. Um, the main thing is that you just need the cable and the connectors. That's really that's really all it comes okay. down to. C- cable connectors and a little bit of working knowledge on it. Yep, yep. Is there any, like, free sources or anything that, that people could access now that you know of or as far as, like, the field expedient antenna aspects? Because that's going to kind of transition into the next point, so I was just curious. Yeah, so I actually have a pace bin floating around online that is an introduction to HF comms and how to make field expedient antennas. Um, now field expedients aren't limited to HF communications. You can use it for VHF and UHF, but they're primarily used for HF because that's when you really start talking 400, 500, 600 miles even. Right. Um, so there's a pace been floating around. Most Marine Corps publications and Army publications are available online. And most of those, like, if you look up the proper publications, I mean, you can do a couple of Google searches and, and find all the information you need if you know the right keywords to type in. So if you type in USMC publication, uh, field expedient antennas, I'm sure that you're going to get a handful of results and at least some basic, uh, basic things that show you, hey, this is how you make an antenna. And I mean, I've found stuff online that, guys in the ham radio community are putting out and it's the exact same information because it's all just based on antenna theory it's not 
mill versus civilian equipment or anything. Gotcha. So a little Google food is going to go a long way as far as that goes. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't find something on your first search, don't, don't just assume that it's like private, super secret squirrel information. Just more, change more up than your wording a little bit. Along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just try a couple of times and, and try a different uh, methods on how you're typing. Gotcha. And uh, I can send you a I mean, I can uh, documents online too that I've yeah, you know, my time in, and I can send them to you too. And I can post them in the uh, like in the longhouse Discord and Telegram and all that stuff. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Um, and then if anything, I can try and uh, copy paste the links to Instagram. The only thing with Instagram is most of the time, like you can't like click on it and direct you. Yeah. You have to like copy paste it and all. Yep. But that's it, it why can I usually don't there. do it. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah, can paste like PDFs thing. and stuff wherever I want because that's what they're at. They are their PDFs. So. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is kind of a little bit of a segue. Um, if you're not in the Longhouse Discord, um, do so. There's a couple others that I'll talk about at the very end of the podcast. I'll, when we close, I'll, I'll follow up with a little bit of a just me talking about some different podcasts and uh, discords and stuff. But definitely get in on the Longhouse. Uh, it, it's a wealth of knowledge. There's there's a good bit of a of rabbit holing and uh, crap posting, but there's still there's a chunk of good nuggets of knowledge in there. Uh, and something else too, if you don't mind, I'm going to do a little self promotion, but, uh, if, if you join the telegram, um, which is, I think that the link is like t.me slash, uh, the longhouse preparedness. I think that's what it is. I'll have to double check, but I have it. Um, if you go on my Instagram, there's a, there's a, a link tree and it has it, but if you join the, uh, the longhouse telegram, there's like a group chat associated with it. And then the actual, page where i just post and me and a couple other guys that are part of the the podcast but usually we do daily voice messages that are like five six minutes long um just talking about different topics and sometimes people request them and there are things that we don't really see as necessary to dedicate a whole podcast to but we still want to be able to get out there and tell guys so yeah that's that's, that's, that's something a good too. idea that's a good idea because I'll, I'll, I'll do that too. I'll come up like, oh, I really want to talk about it. It's like, well, it's only like five minutes. Like, do I really want to waste people's time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the way and like if anybody that listens to it, it probably has noticed that we haven't put out an episode in, in quite a while. Um, and we're starting to get gaps between them. And one thing is like when we were trying to do them weekly, we were kind of getting burnt out and the quality wasn't as good. Like, yeah, there was a lot of stuff where it's like, OK, I kind of wasted my time listening to this. And um, we kind of want to make it to where we focus more on like those little five, 10 minute things daily to help, help your brain kind of start thinking in a different way. And then excellent idea. Yeah. And then once we release an episode, it's kind of a little bit more of like a specialized big deal. And that's kind of how I do it. Like, like the ones that are just me talking will maybe be 30 minutes long max if ever. Um, Yeah. Then then the ones where I bring people like you on, those are always going to be longer because there's just so much more to come to to bring out as far as the topic goes all right <clears throat> okay so <laughs> i'm trying to let me go to the show notes and figure out where we left off here um oh okay so suggest setups we talked about kind of for now um where we're, we're not looking at long-term field use and stuff like that but let's talk about what a lot of the listeners come to this podcast and others for um is like the guerrilla warfare aspect of it <laughs> so um you know, it's kind of a buzzword anymore, and a lot of people are just kind of using it. it. 
it's getting dangerously close to the uh, the SF bro operator type thing on Instagram. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but we're talking about a situation where you've had collapse of civilization. We're not in the interim time like we are now. Uh, collapse of civilization may or may not be facing peer or near peer uh, forces, but at the very least, you are your your own first responder in a way you are responsible for your own safety you and your group are out and about maybe doing security patrols for your community or uh, actively engaging a uh, hostile opposing force that has invaded and making life miserable for them those are kind of the two aspects of the grill ask that i i, I kind of see it going towards maybe not tomorrow but in the future okay. so with that you know we're going to have logistics issues we're going to have uh you know, charging issues as far as battery power, um, that that is really the biggest hindrance I see to comms in the long run because everybody wants to sink a ton of money into comms, and the whole time I'm thinking, well, okay, are you going to be able to get batteries when batteries fry out? Are you going to be able to get replacements when when you know they get wet or you fall on them or bullet hits them or whatever crazy thing? Mm-hmm. Um, are they even going to be viable because you're facing a force that is so good at finding you because of it? That's a concern. So what are your thoughts as far as that goes, as well as setups you would suggest for that? So that is another aspect where HF really shines is near peer type threats. Um, And I am doing a really large class uh, in the Marine Corps soon. I don't want to give too much information, but essentially we're getting a whole bunch of people in different areas to come together and I'm giving them classes on HF communications and HF is different because the waves propagate differently. Um, So instead of line of sight, where it's like a walkie talkie, the waves actually bounce between the ground and the ionosphere. So there's a bunch of uh, considerations you need to have. And there's, it's it's like the original like bread and butter of comms. It's like what was used in World War One and Two in Korea and all that stuff. So the other benefit is that triangulating positions is not as easy and um the methods of using it are a lot more uh gorilla-esque so you get to a position have your comm window put up your field expedient um turn on your radio pass your information turn it off and leave so that is ideal the problem is is that with uh civilian equipment getting hf stuff is either extremely expensive or extremely difficult so you can still take those methods and apply them to VHF, UHF comms. So comm windows, like we talked about earlier, are really good. Um, if you don't need your radio on, don't have it on for battery conservation and for uh, countering people triangulating your positions. So all those boomers in their ambulances aren't going to be able to find you when you're out in the middle of the woods with your radios off. You turn them on for 30 seconds, pass a message, turn it off, and move. Yeah, so. and that, that's something I first actually read about. I was reading one of the six billion SOG novels and LRP <laughs> things that I've, I've read, but they were talking about how, like, the the NBA, because they were facing NBA regulars more so than, like, Viet Cong guerrillas, they were, had uh, communist force-supplied radio detection mm-hmm. capabilities. So, like, that, what they found out is they'd be, you know, hammering back to home base because these dudes are dropped off in the middle of nowhere. And they're leaving the radio on. They're talking for long duration or whatever it is. And they're literally giving their position away, even just by sitting there whispering, because the NBA had the capability to triangulate their position 
and move in on them because they were while they were communicating no you know however far way back it was the fob um you know they were there in the nba's front yard so it was a lot easier for the nba to detect them and and basically counter find them and that's why that's when i first started reading about the whole like turn it on use it turn it off relocate like a half mile away and then that's where you'd set up like you would never set up in the in a place where you would use your comms you would you would use your comms for your last comms window report like a false location relatively close to where you are and then move off in a different direction to set up your your remain overnight or something like that yep and so something that we do in the military is that we have when we set up our whole coc with like all of the the big brain uh guys that control the whole fight and the battlefield and all that stuff uh we set up our com equipment we have our big antennas and stuff that we put up our radios for um to our coc so that the guys that are talking on the radios aren't actually they're not actually talking into the radio they're talking into a that go and the reason for that position crap out of it um the people that are just not right so if, if you come things like that it's all things that you would say that the two biggest things that the common man with limited money versus is going to be able to benefit is com windows um and brevity codes so if you're not familiar with brevity codes Essentially, what it is is a word that only you and your team knows, and you can have a notepad uh, with all the brevity codes. But generally, what it is is you would get on and you would say a word that has a particular meaning. So, say that you are talking about checkpoints, right? So, instead of saying getting on, you know, and being like, hey, we're at grid, you know, what past your full uh, location, you can you can make it a little bit more obscure by saying, hey, we're at checkpoint alpha, bravo, whatever. Or you can get on and say something that's going to be completely nonsense. It doesn't indicate that you're moving or anything. Say that the theme is beers. You can get on and say, hey, be advised, we're Guinness. And, turn off, and then you get the response, hey, I copy your Guinness. Turn it off, leave, and you guys know that that means that you're at checkpoint, whatever. But if somebody gets on or Guinness, they don't know what that means. And yeah. so you're able to obscure it even more. Um, there's a lot of brevity codes for different things, especially once, uh, like right now, I, I, I mentioned I'm going through the, like the JTAC pipeline. So there's a lot of brevity codes for talking to aircraft. Um, and it's things that are easy to figure out. But if you're, if you're trying to keep up with all the traffic, it's harder. So like saying, oh, we have 30 minutes of playtime is something that the aircraft will say to say, hey, we're able to be on site for 30 minutes. Or you'll set up uh, different codes. So there will be a, a word of the day and it'll be say that the word is, I don't know, road. All right. And you'll say, hey, I need to confirm. Uh, and basically what it is is you'll have like you'll take your word that's your keyword. So in this case, it's road R O A D and you will say two letters 
and you'll skip one. So like Oscar Delta, and then they'll come back with their confirmation code of alpha. So they fill in that missing letter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a way that you can confirm that you're talking to your buddies and not somebody else that's listening that has access to these and you don't have an encryption, stuff like that. So there's a lot of these little methods that you can use to ensure that you're talking to the right people and that if there's people that are listening in, they don't know what's going on and then they can't triangulate you because you're turning your radio off. Now, yeah. the problem with comm windows is that if you misread your map or something and you're in a valley and you know, say noon hits and that's when your comm window is, say that it's the top of every hour. Noon hits, you need to pass uh, important information you misread the map or you were in a valley and to get to the top of the hill, it was a lot more steep than you had anticipated, something like that. Or you have out of date maps and there's a huge river that you can't cross, things like that. Well, now you're in a, in a dead space for comms and you need to pass information. And if the receiving end turns the radio on and they don't hear from you for 15 minutes, they don't know if you're in a dead zone, if you're dead, if you're captured, what, what the case is. So, um, you know, you got to kind of plan around that. Yeah. So like a contingency would be like, if, if it's noon and we're pointing on a comms window, like the top of every hour comms will be open for 15 minutes to receive, but we don't receive, we're shutting off. We're going to give you another 15 minutes and turn it back on. That would be like 30 minutes of elapsed time. Mm -hmm. And at that point you're like, okay, something's gone seriously wrong. They haven't made, you know, the comms window or the contingency window, we need to assume that, you know, the worst possible and uh, maybe shut down comms and switch over to alternate comms, like an alternate, you know, word brevi code page or something like that, just in case. Yeah, either that or, uh, you know, say that you're, say that your base camp has a mobile setup where they're in vehicles and you know that the terrain has dead zones in a couple of different areas. So you have an alternate position that is, staging for QRF as well as um, a place where you're not going to have like a dead zone for comms and okay, hey, it's the bottom of the hour now. They haven't talked to us. We're going to go to our alternate position and prepare to act as a QRF and try to get comms from there because we know that, you know, we can reach the valley from this position. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And then you're kind of dual, dual use because then if you get there, you still don't have comms then you're ready to uh for you're now in a you better know, position to help that and you're in the qrf mindset and you're ready to go yep um and then so the brevity codes one thing i would suggest this is just me thinking for the for the viewers is create your own um especially if like you've been in the military i'm sure there's there's common words or common common things used to uh, allocate the different things like routes for road and stuff like that you know, if you're looking at a community defense and you're saying, okay, let's say I have Adam Street. Well, instead of saying Adam Street, come up with your own word. So, like, you know, hell, we'll just say Apple. Okay. Yeah. So, that way, if you are having to use comms and let's say that you knew that your group says for every foot mobile enemy force, they're pawns. Well, we have pawns on Apple moving uh, negative. Well, then you've got foot mobiles on on adam street moving north something yep. like that that that's going to be enough to let you relay information maybe it's kind of easy to figure out kind of not but it's enough that 
you're out in the open and you're not giving away saying, hey, I can actually see foot infantry on Adams Street moving north. Well, okay, if your enemy hears that, they're going to say, okay, well, where could they possibly see us from? Oh, this ridge line right here. Guess mm-hmm. where they're probably, I mean, they don't even have to have directional finding equipment at that point because of, because, you know, you can't assume that they're stupid and they're not going to be able to figure that out. Yep. So, so that would just be a suggestion, like, especially if you're looking at like a community defense thing that's a stationary, like you have a map of your city or your small community and you can say what brevity codes you want and you can rename the streets to whatever you want that your group knows. Um, if you have that pre-staged and everyone that needs to know knows and has like a written down, topped out or however list of, of the brevity codes, then that's just going to expedite the entire thing. Yep. And, uh, and the other thing too, is like, you need to brief before your mission. So there's a common thing, um, like PCCs, PCIs before you step. So pre-combat checks, pre-combat inspection. So it goes in the basis of, hey, make sure everybody has the proper equipment on, make sure everybody's topped off on water, has food, make sure they jump up and down, you don't hear rattling. But it also includes making sure that everybody knows the plan to its fullest. So that includes uh, knowing the brevity codes, knowing the comm plan, knowing the windows, knowing the contingencies, all that stuff. And it, it also simplifies it if only, you know, team leaders and stuff like that have comms because then instead of having 12 guys have to know everything, you only have four that need to know everything, you know? So that's something too, but yeah, with the brevity codes, um, make it something that's so obscure because if say that I'm the opposition, all right, now I have a scanner, I'm able to constantly scan uh, common VHF and UHF frequencies that most radios can use. All right, it stops on one frequency, I hear a transmission, and I am sitting in my vehicle, and I have a, note, a piece of paper and a pen, and I write down what it is, and then me and a couple other guys that maybe are a little bit smarter than the rest of the crew, we can sit down and try to decode what the message is. Make it to where they can't even decode what it is. Like, yeah, have, make, it, have, make it garbled nonsense to them. Yeah. It's perfectly understood to you. Have brevity codes so obscure because if you, you know, like, so for your example, um, like you said, if they hear, oh, we have foot mobiles moving down Adams Street going north, um, if you say that we have uh, whatever on Apple moving negative well already a keyword that pops out is moving all right now i can look at negative and think okay you know that might be a a cardinal direction these guys are moving north i can that are my friends i can assume that negative is north because n and n and you know you can you can piece things together in a couple minutes Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's an excellent point you you have to you have to understand or you have to assume that you're dealing with people that are going to be a thousand times smarter than you uh, because they may very well could be as well as it can keep, keep you out of hot water. Because mm-hmm. if you're, if you're planning on going against a dunce uh, you're going to set yourself up for failure. Um, so that's always something to factor in. Yep. And the, the other thing too, that you need to keep in mind is that comms are used to um, they're, they're used for operations. They're used for Intel and they're used for logistics. And those are the three main things that the enemy wants to disrupt. So they're like comms are so important and it's to the point where like you need to have, you need to have good comm equipment and you need to have good 
equipment to counter the enemy's comms because if they don't have everything planned right and they say hey we have a truck full of food moving to you and they're on this street and they're going to be at your position in you know 30 minutes you can say okay we're literally breaking everything down as fast as we can getting on that street and running down the street as fast as we can to find it and then once we find the truck that has food say that it took us 10 minutes to find it now we can infer that they're 20 minutes down the road and then you know where the enemy is you disrupted their food supply and you have intel on their location so yeah and you have potentially increased your supplies by taking it from said truck yep and you may have been able to uh take the enemies and gotten information out of them or taken their equipment or whatever the case is yep. so that's why like not just getting on with your 30 dollar radio and saying you know dumb stuff is it, it comms go way further than that and the it starts to get limited once you start to limit it, if that makes sense. So yeah, obviously there's environmental concerns and equipment concerns and things like that that are gonna stop you from talking a million miles to all your friends, but you know, utilize them in a way to where, like we were saying, hey, we have comm windows from this point, all this stuff, and these are all countermeasures to keep from the enemy triangulating our position, knowing what we're doing, you know, disrupting our operations. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And it makes perfect sense. And then, so logistics wise, I think, I think that everyone can get on with whatever they have. I mean, whatever you are able to personally purchase right now, you know, you can do all this stuff. You can test it. You can, you can work brevity code. You can do all that. You can learn troubleshooting, but keep in mind the best logistics, if you were to look at it solely as a, as an opposing government force invasion, because uh, that's kind of like, you know, let's say Red Dawn, because that's kind of what a lot of people think of uh, when they think of how things are going or, or going to go. or That's how they want it to go anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, logistics speaking, the best thing to do would probably be to either acquire the same radios that the opposing force is using, or at least have a radio that shares battery commonality. Because unless you have somebody supplying you like like a a, a propping up government force supplying you in order to fight these individuals, you're going to have to look at logistics. And if you are sitting there with your $30 Walmart radio that takes X battery, but there are no more batteries available. And the only batteries you can get are the ones that the opposing force is using and you have successfully ambushed them and you have now taken their radios and batteries. That's going to be your logistics pipeline from that, that point on. If you, if you want to maintain those batteries and radios. Yep. And something too to add to it is uh, recharging batteries in the field is so I would assume that most people are going to have like a base camp type setup that they probably drove through. So they have their vehicles throwing one or two car batteries or four car batteries in somebody's truck as, you know, resupply for that and make sure that you can keep everything running. Um, You can buy AC converters or yeah. I think that's the right terminology, but you can buy like the AC converter, inverter, whatever. I think it's inverter, car. but maybe yeah. it's converter. Something. It's an AC something. It's a you can buy. Yeah, it's it's something with a verter. Uh, you can buy it for your vehicle, plug it into the cigarette lighter, and you can have like two plugs and two USB ports or whatever. I have one in my car right now that uh, powers a couple things. So you can use that and recharge batteries out of your car and then have a couple of uh, spare car batteries so that way – you know, yeah, God forbid you leave something plugged in, whatever. Yeah, there's always yeah. solar. Goal Zero makes good stuff. 
You can yeah, recharge only, batteries in the field. <laughs> the only, yeah, you can. You can. Where there's will, there's a way. The only issue with stuff like solar is it takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you were a group that was solely wanting to operate at night, um, solar makes a lot of sense if you can get into a position where you can remain over day as opposed to remain overnight. Mm-hmm. If you're only going to move at night for security reasons or you just want to goon or whatever, um, you can have your solar thrown out there to charge all your stuff during the day while you're sleeping and, you know, alternating security and everything. And then it's all charged up and ready to go for when it's, it's go time at night. So you have to figure out when you're going to be doing most of your activities and plan according to that. Cause solar, I mean, solar is requiring the sun, the sun's out for, you know, roughly 12 hours a day, depending on the time of season. Um, you have to be able to work around that because if you go three days without charging your stuff and, Oh, I've got 2% left on my battery. It's going to take a friggin' while to get a full charge from solar. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And also uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff too, that people completely overlook that. I mean, either of us could probably make a whole episode on, but it would be like just a lot of rambling and scenarios is, uh, is SOPs, your standard operating procedures. So you could have an SOP be, okay, if, if we're going to uh, rely on bail fangs, everybody has to have three. Everybody will leave one at base camp. So you'll have two on you, one in your pack, one on you because of how unreliable and bad they are. And then everybody will have four batteries. Yep. And, and all of them will be charged before you step off. Exactly. And then as the day goes on, and that's another thing too, is that the Baofeng batteries drain very quickly compared to 152 clones or the uh, the Motorola's and stuff. But your SLP can be, hey, if we're stopping for more than 10, 15 minutes, this person that has the charger throws out the charger and we start charging batteries. And then that way, once we stop at night or whenever we stop to rest, uh, we'll all swap out our batteries, make sure that we have fresh batteries in, radios off, so we're not draining them. And then we have a system for recharging batteries throughout the night or day or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. The best way that I have found for solar, and it's just just plugging it out there, uh, the dude is on Instagram. I'm thinking it's Blue50 on Instagram, but it's Prepared Airman on YouTube. He okay. recently did a video that he talked about how he was solar charging all of his stuff throughout the day because he was charging he wasn't necessarily charging radio batteries but he was charging like all of his miscellaneous like double a's triple a's 123's all off the same power bank and he was doing kind of what i was talking about just now where he was planning on only moving at night for security reasons so he knew that like he would set up like a timer on his watch or whatever he would let something charge he would have double a's and triple a's charging for so many hours and then he would wake up and swap them out for 123s and let those charge for so many hours and it's all in your SOPs and what you plan on doing and having a solid game plan to rotate all that stuff through because again with solar it takes time it's not it's not as easy as plugging it in your wall and that's what a lot of people don't realize is like if I plug my my battery charger for my phone into the wall and run it off my house electricity, it charges in no time. Like, like for instance, I was 2% when we started this podcast, and it's been 100% for a while now. If it was solar, it's going to take maybe two to three times that long, depending on your charger setup, because it has to not only draw that light from the sun and change it into usable energy source to go to your device, it's going to be dependent on how bright the sun is for the day, mm-hmm. depending, on, depending on your setup. So if it's an overcast day, you can still get some charge going, but it's not going to be nearly as good as in the middle of the day at noon with not a cloud in the sky and it's in the middle of summer. So all yeah. of that has to be factored in. So if, like, if you were someone who was sitting there, because I had someone ask me about this, like, oh, I'm, I'm focusing on solar, what do you suggest? 
I would have some contingencies in there because, A, it's not always daylight. B, even during the day, it's not always bright and sunny uh, because the weather has a say. Um, and C, solar just takes time, even in good conditions. So, yeah, yeah, solar takes a lot of time. Um, something, too, that I've seen is uh, uh, Mike Glover, the, uh, the guy that runs Fieldcraft Survival. Yeah. He had a thing where in his vehicle he had uh, solar panels on the dashboard and he had a separate battery uh, pack system. Like I think he had a separate car battery hooked up and wired up a certain way to where it would keep all of his devices going. So his GPS, his phone, if he had a tablet for navigation, keep his batteries charged, things like that. So he's running it separate than his car, uh, car power. Because if you're, if you're basing your entire existence out of your, your rig and your vehicle and your, your vehicle dies in the middle of nowhere, like that's, it's, it's unusable at that point. So he made sure to separate all that, but he had a solar, uh, he had a solar panel that would recharge the batteries as well. So that's, and even like when I researched into uh, solar power for houses, that's what a lot of people do is they'll have, I was about to say that sounds like what a lot of people who are off grid do. They, they, they charge like car batteries and then they take that car battery and somehow invert it into their home and they'll run mm-hmm. like four, four light bulbs and the, the water for the, the refrigerator or whatever. Yep. And, then, and they're, they're running it off a circuit. They're constantly charging batteries. So that way when it's cloudy or overcast or whatever, you still have power. And then if you're not using it, you're still able to recharge it. And it's kind of like a passive thing. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not even going to notice it. And you can have in a Pelican case, six car batteries hooked up and a big solar setup and, yeah, you know, run run a whole roof, bunch of stuff off six car batteries, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we talked about um, some setups. Uh, it's been going for you know just a little over an hour now. Um, one last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was what you saw as far as troubleshooting uh, that we could look at, or things that we could keep with us, as well as like what is your hard and fast? Do not buy this. It's either gimmicky or crap or anything like that that you've seen. Hmm. So <laughs> I want to say try to stay away from bale fangs, um, especially the UV5Rs. So the reason why is, yeah, they're cheap and you can buy five of them um, and it's not a big deal or every paycheck you can buy one. But you got to think about it like they're like the high points of radios. That's a good so, yeah, <laughs> you, you can push the button and talk and somebody else with one can hear you and people die all the time from high points, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to run out and grab one. And, and I've heard people say, you know, Oh, I'm going to get one to learn on and then move to something else. And that's like saying, I'm going to buy the cheapest AR 15 I can to learn on. And then I'm going to buy a Daniel defense or something like it's not, the logic really doesn't, it's not, it's not soundproof logic. So yeah. um, do some, do some of your own research. And, and the problem is today, and I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent, but too many people rely on being spoon fed the information and they're going to ask, hey, what's a good radio to buy? Dude, that is a question that I have no answer to because I yeah, don't know what you're that's doing. telling you what socks to wear. Yeah. Hey, what's, what's a good uh, rifle caliber to buy? In no context, like, all right, do you live out in the plains? Do you live in the mountains? Do you live in the jungle? Like, yeah. are you trying to put in a backpack? What are you doing? So um, do research, find what radios work for you and figure out, okay, I have a radio and then I can get these accessories fairly easily and fairly uh, reliably. So that way, if a push to talk breaks, I know I can go on these three websites because one of them might go out of business and the other one might not have it in stock. And I can buy something from the third one to replace that. And they're affordable and, you know, all that stuff. 
extra batteries, antennas, things like that. So the UV 5Rs, they're cheap. They're available. You can get them wherever. I don't recommend them because they're just not good radios. They're going to break, and people will spend two grand on a rifle, 800 bucks on a plate carrier setup, you know, all this money on sustainment gear. And then they buy a $30 radio and they're like, all right, I'm ready. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's, what it's kills like, me even more is they'll buy the $30 radio and then sink $200 into antennas and push to talks and everything else. And they still have it connected to a $30 radio. Yeah. And they, they'll take, you know, $600 Peltors and attach them to a $30 radio and yeah. think that they're good. And like, I, I mean, you might not know, like how bad radio equipment can be right because you you might think like no yeah exactly you do know and you choose to continue to go down that route that's that's ignorance but and and it's one thing too like as as a whole i think that too many people allow too much in like our circle community whatever you want to call it like if somebody's doing something dumb um in in the case of like hey i'm only gonna run alice gear like that's that's not a good idea <laughs> like yeah you yeah. can do it like as but... much as as much as i love it and it's a usable thing it there are better options out there that's what i always yeah. tell people it's like i've got some alice gear set in just for your example i've got some alice gear set in the closet that i picked up a uh, dude on instagram actually like sent me some of it because i was asking about it and then it's some of the stuff that i bought and like it's cool and i'm kind of setting it up because i was doing it for like a hey if you've got a hundred bucks this is something you can figure out on ebay top deal Mm-hmm. But the caveat is always you can do that or you can just wait a little bit longer and buy something better. Yes. Um, and that's the thing, too, just is because that, it works doesn't mean that it's the best idea out there. Right. And so if you're going to buy bail fangs and you're like, oh, well, there's 30 bucks, I can buy five of them. Well, you're spending thirty dollars five times. You know, you might as well just buy a good radio. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. go go out and do some research and buy a buy a Yesu, Motorola, whatever uh 152 clone i don't know but yeah so i would say that for that stuff like try to stay away from bail fangs um honestly it sounds like anything with even the the kenwood two-pin connector it it would just be a stay away from top deal if you've got and that's the thing like that's why i haven't bought any because i've got i've got my two bail fangs for the house i'm not going to buy any more i'm not going to throw them in the trash because they're useful for like if i'm out in the yard and need to talk to somebody in the house type thing but you know, I'm not going to be buying any more going forward. And, I'm going and to be that, looking I mean, at better options. The thing is, too, is that if you have a good radio setup, buying a couple bail fangs, like two or three, or, you know, once every few months, you you drop an extra 30 bucks and buy a bail fang that has a radio or that has the antenna and the battery with it. And then you keep them, you know, you can throw one in your pack. And then that way, worst case, if you need to, you can you can give it to somebody because that's something, too, is like, say that you are going to work alongside uh, another group of dudes that's in your area and they only run like digital UHF comms and you're only running analog VHF comms and you can't talk to each other. So pull out one of these. You need to have a translator in there. Yeah, exactly. Just toss them a bail fang. Say, Hey, I'm going to go on top of this ridge and tell you what I'm observing. And I'm going to just talk on this. They don't need to have a fancy headset set up. They don't need to hook up all the cool gadgets to it. It's right. like a basic thing, and you come you back. You the information to them; they can disseminate that to their group via their radio. Yeah, exactly. And and then for the other, for the listeners who are not necessarily in the in collapse guerrilla warfare mindset of, of stuff, um, another thing you can look at with the bail fangs is like, let's say 
Um, you do have the crisis mode where everyone's consolidating, like maybe you've got extended family and everyone's consolidating to live on a property area. Like that's kind of our family's game plan is everyone's going to consolidate to my home. Uh, they're not going to be living in my home because there's only so much room there, but we may build shelter structures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I can hand them a bail fang and they can communicate to me. Like, let's say it's, you know, two miles away is where they end up being for, for their end end area to stay at. They can communicate to me what's going on. We're not necessarily worried about, you know, communications being listened to or anything like that, but they can let me know, Hey, there's, you know, methods breaking into the house next door. They're coming here next. Can you come help? You know, yep. I mean, there, there are roles that stuff like the bail fangs fall into. Um, but And something, too, to add to that is that bail fangs are good because you can program. Like what I did was I programmed local emergency channels and weather channels into mine and kept it in my vehicle. So if I need to, I can I can go on and I can look up the weather report in my area. And it, it I mean, it's a constant stream. You just need to look up what area you're in and the frequency yeah. and yeah and all that stuff's on the internet too yeah anyone listening you just google no no radio frequencies and it should pull up for your area what it mm-hmm. is because i did the same thing on mine is like i can turn it on and if the power's out and i don't have access to one of my like five emergency radios in the home um i can grab one of those up turn it on and push like, i think i've got a program for like the the b on the dual channel yeah um i can just hit b and it's going to pull it up for my area yeah and and it's it's kind of cozy too, like for me, just because it's, it's nostalgic. Like when I was younger, if our power would go out for like a bad storm or something, my dad would, uh, he had a, like a hand crank radio and he would crank it up to give it power. And then he'd yeah, have yeah. it on the weather and he'd like listen to see when the storm is going to let up. And like, if there's any, uh, reports on, uh, power outages and things like that. So I don't know. Yep. It's kind of cozy listening to like those the little, little automated hand- weather boys. And just, <laughs> just a little, little sudden, those little hand cranks. You can get them. They're like maybe 20 bucks at Walmart. I don't know. I've got two or three of them and they've got like the combination radio flashlight hand crank thing. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty handy. And at the very least, you've got something you can give your kids that they can hand crank that sucker because they're going to think that's cool. You're going to think it's annoying as crap. They're going to think it's cool <laughs> so they can crank that thing over and over and over again to hand it back to you. And dad turns it on. You listen to the radio and then, it, you know, you get like two and a half minutes of listening and it dies. You got to crank it all freaking over again. Yeah. But. <laughs> So I mean, stuff like that too is like good, good time you can spend with your kids and like yeah, it's, it's stuff that's fun yeah. for them at because, least because you know, they're going to be, gonna be scared like like for that instance and I know we're rabbit holing and tangenting here at the end so if anyone <laughs> if anyone's made it this long we're probably done with the podcast we're just I'm bad of, with that man I'm terrible man, with tangents. I'm so hard I'm so hard but you know if you're you, in that situation your kids are scared and it's amazing like if you don't have kids you you really don't understand uh, but if you do have kids you kind of have an idea of it they're scared to death and like the simplest little things can take their mind off it. And then they're happy. Mm-hmm. And if that's a hand crank radio that you are getting pissed off at the world cranking because it's dying every two minutes, <laughs> if you hand it to your kid and he's playing fishing, cranking the thing and having a great time, you're getting your, you're getting the thing charged up. So you listen to the radio and uh, your kid's doing something to preoccupy himself. So yeah. that's, that's just a little something in there. But, uh, but yeah, man. So uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, I want to do this again, uh, maybe for a different topic, different time. Uh, I want to do like one night just at some point when, when I get several people coming in uh, and just do like an open mic night where we just talk about whatever. Because um, I think those are those are always fun. Just kind of like a general topics thing. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be sweet. I'm definitely. Uh, Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. I'm definitely going to hit up Telegram. Uh, I, I don't get on Telegram super often. I do get on there 
probably the most frequently I've done is the last couple of weeks because I was meeting up uh, through the uh, the P&W Gorilla dudes. They do that telegram on there, and they kind of did a, a chapters deal and uh, found a bunch of dudes in my area. So if you're listening and you're having trouble, maybe go check that out on Telegram. But I'm going to get on there to the, the Longhouse one and uh, see kind of the voice stuff you've been doing because I didn't know you've been doing that. That was, that was news to me. Yeah, so and I'm going to go check that out. We just started this this week. So a guy that I talk to pretty frequently – through Instagram and all that stuff. And, uh, he's in the discord and all that stuff, but he, uh, he messaged me and he was like, Hey man, you should do this. And I was like, yeah, it's honestly a good idea. So I tried one and he contributed one. He was like, Hey, I just thought of this. That would be a good thing to go over. So I did it. So if anybody listens, yeah, if there's something that you want to message me, Hey, you know, this is a good idea I had, like I'll relay it. I can even just drop in the audio file usually and give you credit if you want or whatever. Um, So I can take like contributions and all that, but yeah. All right. And then, uh, do you want to go ahead and throw out your Instagram handle one more time just to make sure? Yeah. So on Instagram, I am coniferous underscore origins. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's it. I don't, I don't have like Twitter or anything else. All right, cool. And then, um, let's see here. The podcast is the longhouse preparedness podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, you, the Discord is Longhouse Preparedness as well. And then what's the best way to get to the Discord for y'all? This The reason I say that is Discord's kind of weird. Like sometimes you can try and link somebody and then it does uh, some weird just goes to the Discord main page and then doesn't actually take you to the Discord itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the best way, honestly, is message me on um, cool. on Instagram and I'll send it to you. But the um, the, the link for the, the Longhouse Telegram is t.me slash the longhouse so that's all it is just all one word yep all right cool man so yeah uh if y'all are listening you want to get on it go ahead and hit up this instagram celebrity that i brought on tonight (laughs) um (laughs) and then uh some other podcasts to listen to uh outside of the longhouse would be uh, marauders podcast he's a good one uh that's the uh camp the beyond um integrated skills group does a podcast uh they also do a discord they're they're on instagram it's it's actually it's it's criminal that i didn't know anything about them until like this week they're kind of uh big on the interim time the the time frame between like now and total collapse and they are i have found a ton of information in their blog as well as their discord um that is outside of the field stuff like if anyone's looked at the longhouse preparedness group and the discord it it definitely focuses more on the the post grid going down um long-term field top stuff whereas the isg stuff is more like your daily stuff uh, especially city dwelling um things like repelling lock picking you know the gray man but they do a whole lot of really good information on that so that's another one to look into there's tons of others i always forget like half of them when it comes time to do this but uh anyways man i appreciate you coming on i uh, look forward to doing it again everybody take it easy stay safe and have a good night yeah thanks again for having me yeah man